Hello everybody uh, and Kia Ora. Uh, today we will talk um, about Ostrot's uh, recent project conducted to provide clarity around the design and operation of race safety platforms. We will discuss the research approach and the key findings um, from the information review and sample investigations that have implications for future practice. We have more than 700 people registered for today's session, so welcome to you all and thanks for joining us. My name is Ekaterina, I'm a communications officer at Ostroads and I will be uh, moderating today's session. First of all, I would like to acknowledge the Australian Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people as the custodians of the land from which we are broadcasting today. I pay my respect to elders past, present and emerging. I also acknowledge the Treaty of Waitani and Maori as the original people of New Zealand. A little bit about Ostroads. Uh, we are the collective of Australasian transport and traffic agencies, and our focus is to support our member organizations to deliver an improved road transport network. The project that we are focusing on today uh, was delivered under the Transport Network Operations Program, which is managed by Richard Del Place. So a little bit of housekeeping for today's session. Our presenters will speak for 40 minutes and then we will have a Q&A session for 15 minutes. The report today's presentation is based on and the slides can be downloaded from the handout section of your sidebar, which you will find on the right-hand side of your screen. There's also a question section there, so please use it to send us your questions for the Q&A at any time during the webinar. If you could name the slide number that your question relates to, that would be uh, very helpful for us. Um, you can also use that same box to let us know if you have any technical problems but just a quick tip if you lose sound or your picture freezes the issue is most likely with your connection so leaving the session closing the browser and rejoining the session via your registration link usually helps this session is being recorded and we will let you know when the uh, recording is available on our website and you can also find Ostroads in your podcast app so it gives me great pleasure to introduce our presenters for today, uh, Fabian Marsh, uh, Rebecca Thorne, and Hamish Mackey. We will first hear from Fabian, uh, Senior Manager, Road Safety for Waka Katahi New Zealand Transport Agency. Fabian is responsible for leading and influencing a step change in New Zealand's road safety performance by driving an increased understanding and implementation of the safe system approach and establishing a clear strategic direction uh, for Waka Katahi's contribution to Road to Zero, um, New Zealand's national road safety strategy. Our second presenter is Rebecca Thorne. Rebecca is a researcher um, at Mackey Research and has previously worked in public engagement and communications uh, in the transport sector. And she's interested in health promotion, sustainable urban planning and behavioral psychology. Rebecca has coordinated a number of road safety and active travel trials and significantly contributed to evaluations of race safety platforms and inspection speed zones. And our third presenter, uh, Hamish Mackey, co-director of Mackey Research. Um, Hamish has 22 years of research um, and consultancy experience in various areas of human factors, with the last 14 years spent mostly in the transport sector. As a certified human factors professional um, and often uh, working with, very closely with um, engineering projects, all of Hamish's work um, has the underlying theme of more human-focused systems and he has a particular focus on road safety and sustainable transport. Um, so a big welcome to our presenters and I will now hand over to Fabian. 
Thanks, Ekaterina. Uh, and Kiora, welcome everyone. Thank you for joining today's session on race safety platforms. Uh, I'll just start with a, uh, a quick overview of the project. Um, as project manager, I'd like to acknowledge the project team and their contribution. Uh, thank you to Hamish, Michael and Rebecca from Mackie Research, uh, helping to bring this uh, project uh, to what you're seeing today in terms of the findings. Um, I'd also like to acknowledge uh, Sean Yates from Victoria. Uh, a lot of the work that you'll see uh, in Australasia originated in Victoria and Sean was instrumental in, in helping with some of that work and was certainly very valuable to this project. I'd also like to acknowledge uh, Bruce Corbin, uh, who, who uh, was involved in the project at a very early stage, uh, was uh, instrumental again in, in bringing together a lot of the early work in Victoria and from our perspective was a key um, link to some of the research that we found from overseas, particularly in the Netherlands. To assist the project, we set up a working group, uh, which was well represented from each jurisdiction. Thanks to everyone uh, for your participation. It was great to get input from everyone uh, and the insights that we were able to get with regards to where everyone currently is, with regards to their journey uh, towards implementing race safety platforms in your jurisdictions, as well as where there might still be some challenges. The purpose of the project was around providing clarity around the design and operation of race safety platforms and to deepen understanding of leading international practice across a range of performance dimensions. Traditionally, raised humps or vertical deflections have been confined to low speed environments around schools. They're quite sharp devices, those sorts of things. Um, it's important to highlight from the outset that what we're talking about today is, is different. Um, as you can see from the images, uh, these are uh, specifically designed uh, platforms with specific profiles targeting uh, different uh, speeds uh, that we want to encourage uh, motorists to drive at particular conflict points that align with those known injury tolerance limits uh, associated with the safe system. Uh, the focus of the research was therefore in higher speed environments, uh, particularly around the prevention of severe crashes at intersections along higher speed urban arterial roads, where speed limits are typically greater than 50 kilometers an hour. We also looked at other applications, particularly uh, pedestrian crossings on similar types of roads, as well as uh, using these types of interventions to support uh, roundabouts uh, and other applications. But again, generally in those uh, higher speed environments. Uh, I mentioned earlier that the, the research that we looked at really called on international experience, particularly from the Netherlands. Uh, the Netherlands has done a lot of pioneering work uh, with the innovative use of race safety, uh, race safety platforms, and that's um, formed an important part of our research. Uh, I'd also like to highlight that since 2017, Ostroads has produced a range of really valuable safe system documents that outline established as well as new and emerging safe system infrastructure measures. Um, and road safety uh, raised safety platforms are specifically recognised in these documents as a key safe system intervention. But our standards and guidelines don't really reflect this yet. So that was really the purpose of this, um, this, this exercise. So the, the project was really about facilitating greater uptake of race safety platforms as a key primary safe system inter infrastructure intervention uh, by providing jurisdictions across Australasia with more information on best practices as well as implementation consideration. And our hope is really that this research and the subsequent updates to standards will support jurisdictions and contribute to the wider application of race safety platforms, ideally the standardisation of these as key safe system interventions. So with that, I'll hand over now to Rebecca, who will talk you through the project design, the methodology and the literature review. Lovely. Thanks, Fabian. Um, 
So kia ora, hi everyone, I'm Rebecca um, and as Fabian said I'm going to talk about um, how the project was designed, uh, what methods we used to evaluate raised safety platforms uh, and go through the literature review we completed. Um, so we carried out the project in three stages. First we did a review of literature on innovative uses of RSPs. Uh, followed by a series of sample investigations of some selected RSP sites across Victoria and New Zealand. Um, and we chose these sites after canvassing all states for RSP applications, um, but Victoria and New Zealand had the most promising range of case studies to look at, um, with Victoria having by far the most primary interest applications overall. Uh, and then based on the findings from these first two activities, we proposed edits to the Austroads guides to traffic management and to road design. So in the literature review, we explored what the international leading practices for RSPs, uh, looking at key design and performance uh, dimensions across different speed uh, environments and applications. We focused on innovative RSP applications and practices. So this wasn't business as usual type raised platforms, um, for example, not standard applications in local area traffic management. Uh, and we reviewed both primary and secondary interest applications as Fabian outlined. Uh, so primary being RSPs at signalised intersections on uh, higher speed arterial roads, and secondary interest uh, being other non-standard applications such as at mid-block pedestrian crossings on arterials, uh, RSPs at roundabouts, at left turn slip lanes, uh, and at priority controlled intersections in rural areas. And we looked at both published and unpublished lit literature from around the world, as well as other technical uh, and operational documents. So I'll just summarise the findings uh, from the literature review before we get into the method for the sample investigation, uh, as these findings really set the stage for the rest of the project. So first off, um, contributing to the development of, of this project, um, Fabian outlined a couple of Austroads reports earlier, so these are from 2017 and 18, uh, and these summarise knowledge on safe system infrastructure and intersections uh, and how these can be designed to minimise crash harm. So they point out that traditional intersection design is not generally consistent with safe system principles, in particular because um, intersections tend to, be, tend to enable high speeds through intersections um, and wide impact angles both of which increase the risk of crashes resulting in death or in injury. This is especially the case for signalised and priority controlled intersections, where impact speeds may be upward of 50 k's and vehicle crashes can happen at right angles. Uh, on the other hand, the geometry of roundabouts controls impact angles and lower speeds, um, but they do still pose some issues for pedestrians and cyclists um, with vehicle approach speeds often still higher than 30 k's an hour. Um, so because of the key role of speed in determining crash outcomes at intersections, these earlier reports point to the need for intersection treatments which reduce vehicle approach speeds, including on busy roads like arterials and collectors. And in particular, vertical deflection treatments like race safety platforms were highlighted as having strong potential to minimise crash harm at intersections. So the concept of using RSPs at signals on higher speed arterial roads actually comes from the Netherlands. Uh, but as it turned out, most of the literature was from Victoria. There haven't actually been that many studies of RSPs elsewhere. And what we found was that there's an emerging practice developing for the use of RSPs at signalised urban intersections, um, particularly in Victoria, where VicRoads has already produced RSP design guidance. Uh, we found also that there was still quite a lot of variability in the designs, particularly around um, the design gradient of the approach and departure ramps 
the location of the ramps and platform, and the signage and the markings that are used. In some cases, RSPs are installed at new intersections, um, but mostly they've been retrofitted to existing ones. And we also found that there wasn't much information on heavy vehicle stability or the level of noise and vibration created by RSPs, uh, and also the impact of RSPs on traffic flow and efficiency for different road users. There were one or two key studies that helped give us an early understanding of these issues, but it was difficult to separate out the specific impacts of the ramps from other features of the road geometry. So overall, uh, the information available was limited, but where they existed, evaluation outcomes were positive, uh, in that RSPs were found to significantly reduce vehicle operating speeds through treated interceptions, ex intersections, uh, and this at ramp gradients that don't cause motorists too much discomfort as they drive over them. And also uh, we found they reduced crash frequency and severity in the literature. So we found um, there are a few key studies that I'll just briefly go over, um, which were kind of the key studies that we looked at um, for the impacts of RSP installation uh, at primary interest locations. Um, as I mentioned earlier, the earliest ones are from the Netherlands and primarily looked at crash rates before and after so-called uh, raised stop bar installation. This one on the left by Fortuyn and others found that the annual rate of crashes involving injury uh, was 40% lower following installation of RSPs. Um, and total crashes also decreased by a third with rear collisions reduced by about a quarter. Uh, two key studies came from Victoria. One on the right here was uh, RSPs installed in 2015 in Belmont at the intersection of Surf Coast Highway and Kidman Ave. Um, and at this site they found there was a large reduction in speeds following installation. Um, and the RSPs were installed together with traffic signals and a lower speed limit. So they couldn't actually separate out the effect of the RSPs from those other treatments. Um, but the speeds following installation were much lower uh, at this treated intersection compared to others along the highway. They also observed driver behaviour at the intersection and found some early braking, suggesting that drivers were maybe a little bit uncertain as they approached the RSPs, but there wasn't a lot of heavy braking. And uh, finally, they also calculated a 50% reduction in estimated post-crash kinetic energy levels, suggesting that uh, serious injury crashes are less likely with the treatments in place. The other Victorian study on the left there is a preliminary report of speed reductions at uh, new RSPs along Dalton Road and High Street in Thomastown. Uh, this found that mean vehicle speeds immediately on approach to the intersection decreased by 28% or 13 kilometres an hour and uh, by 17% or 8 kilometres an hour uh, when departing from the intersection. And this compared to untreated control intersections where there was basically no change. Um, they also found that there was less speed variability after RSPs were installed. So the speed distribution of, of traffic was more bell curve-like. And uh, we understand there's some continuing work following on from this one. And finally on the right here is a study of RSPs installed at an intersection along an arterial road on the urban periphery of Hamilton. So similar to the Belmont site, um, the RSPs were installed alongside traffic signals and a reduced speed limit. Uh, so the effect of the RSPs can't be separated from the effect of the other changes. However, uh, the speed reduction through the intersection was substantial, going from around 80 k's an hour to below 50 kilometers an hour, um, while speeds further back from the intersection remained comparatively high. 
and almost all drivers stopped in advance of the safety platforms. Um, many stopped after the stop line, which was marked before the platform, uh, and only 5% of them braked late, so there wasn't, it doesn't look like a high risk of, of rear-end crashes. Um, vertical acceleration levels were also looked at and found that um, the levels while crossing the platforms were generally within the accepted range for driver comfort. So just moving on to the key findings for secondary interest applications. We found there are a range of innovative applications um, outside of signalised intersections on arterials, uh, most of which hadn't been a formula, uh, evaluated in formal studies, um, but were described more in technical documents like standards and guidelines uh, or in conference presentations and other grey literature. So some example of these you can see um, on the left there is the uh, low cost and road safety award winning combination of speed cushions and compact roundabouts in Mildura. Um, so it's not actually RSPs at this intersection but it demonstrates the general concept. Um, on the bottom right we've got raised priority pedestrian and cycle crossings at roundabouts in South Melbourne uh, and these were included in the sample investigations we'll talk about later. And then on the top right um, it's a photo showing a new design technique, which is the use of a profile template to uh, create the correct ramp size and gradient from asphalt at a Hamilton intersection. Further examples include on the left here, um, use of approach platforms together with a raised compact roundabout along a rural 80k highway in Lance Creek. We'll also talk about this one later in the sample investigations. Uh, and another example is raised shared path crossings at side street entrances in Queensland, um, which TMR has developed guidance around, and you can see an example on the right there. So generally for the secondary interest applications, there's been some evaluation, uh, in particular of the uh, raised priority crossings for shared paths, um, but there's not yet a lot of evidence available for how they're operating. Um, they are showing promise though, and um, as with the priority crossings, they've already been incorporated into design guidance. So the second stage of the study was uh, the investigations of a sample of existing RSP treatments, uh, both primary and secondary interest, and the purpose was to examine their design and performance. So we worked with Ostroads to select several sites across Victoria and New Zealand. Um, we went and collected further evidence on the design and performance of the RSPs at these sites and we assessed these design and performance outcomes against existing practice from the literature to identify areas where RSP guidance should be revised or extended. So these are all the locations where we carried out sample investigations. Um, the, you can see the top half of the table there are primary uh, interest sites that we looked at and these were all in Victoria. Uh, and they were all um, RSPs at intersections along 60 kilometre per hour arterial roads uh, with an advisory speed at the RSP of either 40 or 50 kilometres an hour. So just a few pictures here. Uh, at the top you can see in Thomastown, north of Melbourne, we looked at four intersections, four intersections along High Street. Um, and four along Dalton Road, which were really interesting because they allow an assessment of how a corridor performs uh, and not just individual intersections. Uh, so Hamish will go into a bit more detail about the nature of these sites later on. 
Uh, we also visited three sites located along main highways in Whittlesea, Wanthaggy and Belmont, um, Belmont being the original Victorian site that was evaluated. So generally some, some of these are uh, whole raised intersections where drivers go up a ramp as they approach the intersection and then down as they leave. Um, so that's those ones on the left, most of them on High Street and the Whittlesea and Wanthaggy ones. Uh, and then others had raised platforms on the approach only, so drivers will go up a ramp and then down again, just as they enter, enter the intersection. Uh, and that was the case for most of the Dalton Road ones and in Belmont. So for secondary interest treatments, which are in the bottom half of the table there, the sites we looked at included two in Victoria uh, and a range of applications in Auckland and Hamilton in New Zealand, which involved uh, raised intersections with signals and roundabouts, uh, raised signalised mid-block crossings, platforms as part of a central city speed management plan, and bus-friendly platforms at zebra crossings on minor arterial roads. So just a few photos of some of these sites. Uh, on the left is the compact rural roundabout in Lance Creek. Uh, on the top right are the, is a pair of um, pedestrian and cycle priority roundabouts in South Melbourne. And on the bottom right is a photo of a fully raised intersection in a town centre in Hamilton, New Zealand, where the speed limit is, is 50 kilometres an hour, so a little bit slower than what we're looking at in the primary interest. So our sample investigation centred around collecting contextual information uh, on how the RSPs had been designed and how they operated. So it involved several activities. These were site inspections where we drove over the RSPs multiple times, uh, and, observed, and observed other road users from the roadside. We also took videos and photos from the roadside and driving over the RSPs um, to capture the signs and the layouts as well as traffic behaviour. We measured accelerometry over the RSPs. So this was measuring the vertical acceleration experienced by motorists as they drive onto and off the RSPs. And because vertical acceleration varies with speed, we did this by driving over the RSPs at a defined speed, sometimes several times, uh, and then measuring the vertical acceleration on the front passenger seat. We also spoke to key informants, uh, like local road authority staff and local residents near treatments. And finally, we held workshops with stakeholders involved in the design and delivery of RSP treatments in Victoria and New Zealand. Uh, where we discussed the design and performance of local treatments, uh, any lessons learned, and we looked at differences between uh, the local treatments and what the literature review found. So passing over to Hamish now to discuss the findings, and uh, just a reminder to everyone to please send through your questions for the Q&A uh, session at the end, uh, and to help us answer your question, if you can just let us know the slide number that your question relates to, if possible. Thanks very much. Uh, tēnā koutou katoa. Thank you, um, Rebecca. I'm now, I'm now going to cover off some of the uh, highlights from the from the sample investigations and the overall um, findings from the from the work, as well as the implications for the um, changes to the Osroads guides. Um, so I just want to just start by going back to these. Um, these examples of primary interest, these higher speed applications. In particular, it's it's quite good to, um, I think, look at these corridor applications uh, in the north of Melbourne because they sort of represent the most comprehensive application of higher speed raised safety platforms to date. So I'm just going to start um, with some of the highlights from the Thomastown High Street uh, corridor. And you can see some of the details of the intersections that were treated here. 
Um, so in general, you've got a, a 60 kilometer an hour uh, arterial road environment. It's in a place where there's a, a fairly mixed use environment with a bus and train station. Um, there's high street shops. Um, and you can see the school sign um, there as well. So 40 kilometers an hour at certain times. There's also a fairly unique um, signage, uh, raised intersection uh, signage that's been used at this application as well. Um, overall, I think this one, uh, when you look at all the different bits of information, it seems to be working pretty well. Uh, there have been some uh, talk of a little bit of minor flooding uh, with some of the, uh, I guess, water coming over at, towards the shots, but that's been sorted out, and I think that's a minor issue, I believe. Um, and there have been one or two sort of um, bits of feedback about some of the departure ramps being a little bit on the aggressive side, um, these 1 in 20 ramps and the undivided situation here. Um, but again, a pretty minor situation. Overall, I think this one's operating pretty well. Um, if I just compare that with the Dalton Road uh, series of platforms, again, in a corridor, uh, this is a, a less pedestrianised area. Uh, it's, a, it's a bigger high-speed uh, corridor, 60 kilometres an hour, again, with 40 kilometre an hour advisory speeds. Um, but this one's sort of interesting because there was uh, an earlier intersection that was included here, Dalton and Childs, um, and you can see there that the approach ramp was slightly uh, gentler, uh, at least in how it was designed, 1 in 30. Um, and well, the interesting thing here is that the actual as-built, um, uh, the, the final result of the, um, of the intersection meant that the platforms were very, very gradual. In fact, when you drive over them, it's sometimes even quite hard to detect the deflection. Um, and if you can look down here, you can see the difference between the, the actual specified um, platform design and the, um, the as-built platform profile. Um, and you can see that there's quite a big difference. And I think this is quite an important theme, really, for the whole uh, project. And that is, um, there's one thing, I think, to get the, uh, the, the um, profiles designed and specified right, but there's a consistent theme that goes through about making sure that the actual construction of the platforms meets that specification. Uh, and there have been um, you know, various in innovative ways of making sure that that happens. Um, and we'll, we'll touch on Hamilton shortly. Um, so yeah, that's an interesting one, I think, from, from this situation. Uh, looking at some of these other primary interest applications, uh, if you look at Wan Thaggy down in the southeast of Victoria, uh, this was a, a whole intersection raised with a 1 in 25 approach. Uh, um, and then this one is interesting because, again, we've got the situation where the departure ramp was built uh, and it just happens to be a little bit more aggressive than what it was set out to be. Uh, and certainly when you talk to some of the um, people and we talked to a, a resident who lived just right nearby, um, he said that, sure, there was actually quite a bit of noise disruption from this particular departure ramp, particularly when there's trucks or utes with, with loose tools going over the platform. So that sort of suggests, again, that it's really important that these, um, con the construction actually goes to specification. And I think if we are looking at sort of 1 in 35, that sort of thing, um, on these departures, we should find that noise uh, and, and annoyance is actually kept to a minimum. If we look back over to the right there on Belmont, this is the original one that, that Rebecca's already introduced. And this was interesting because it was good to go and have a look at this over a number of years and, and quite a bit that's been written about it. And it really did seem to be performing pretty well. Um, and and the, in particular, the maintenance of it seemed to be holding up. It seemed to be um, not falling apart and still doing its job quite nicely. At Whittlesea, um, 
this one here, this is a, a new build intersection or a reconstructed intersection. And this is a very busy intersection in a regional area and there's a rural school right next to it. So uh, talking to some of the school uh, staff who were on site at the time, they believed it's been really quite transformational, the new intersection uh, all up. Um, at this site, there was quite a lot of signage, truck rollover signage. Um, and I think there's a bit of a lesson here, and this will come up again, where we need to sort of think a little bit more, I think, about the consistency of signage that, that is used at these applications. So I'm just gonna now look at some of the vertical acceleration results um, that we got from these primary interest applications. And just to explain here, as, as Rebecca mentioned, we, we measured vertical acceleration of um, by using um, a cell phone-based accelerometer on, on the leading edge of, of the passenger seat. Um, and that was a way of pragmatically measuring vertical acceleration. Now, I just need to point out here that this set of measurements here isn't you know, intended really to be a scientific study. It's more a way of collecting contextual information along with the other information to get an overall feel for what's going on. And certainly, if we wanted to do, uh, you know, be a lot more sort of robust about it, you'd have to get a lot more repeated measures uh, in a more consistent way to, to find the trends. But even, um, and you can see because of that, there is a little bit of a scatter in this data. Um, and part of that is because of the, the were two vehicles that were used necessarily over different days. But also this data represents the um, approach ramps as well as the departure ramps. And, and of course, you know, a range of as-built uh, conditions, which does have a little bit of variability in them. Um, so that does cause a bit of variation in the data. But even with that, you can see that by and large, if we look at the, these group of sort of primary interest applications um, as a whole, we can see that at that sort of 40 to 50 kilometer an hour um, area, it, these measurements are tending, the trend line is tending to sit within this sort of, in, in between what we call an influence and a comfort threshold. And that suggests that by and large, it seems that the profiles that are being used uh, really do seem to be sort of suitable for the job that they're trying to achieve. Um, I just wanna sort of go on to these secondary applications ones now, and I want to spend a bit of time talking about Lance Creek, because this is a really successful um, application for a compact rural roundabout, I believe, and everyone that we've talked to agrees that it's been a really successful um, application. And, and just sort of following on from those acceleration measurements, um, this was at one location where we did actually have a bit more time to, to spend getting sort of repeated measures at the same location. And you can see once you do that, you do actually start getting a bit of a trend for um, just how the the, 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 um, the ramps are actually performing at various speeds. Um, and I guess the first thing you can see there is that the um, the vertical accelerations for the speeds are actually not that high. And and this suggests that the, the ramps are actually really quite gentle. Um, and I think this is a really important point because um, when we saw the, the behavior of the vehicles, whether they be cars or trucks, going over the platforms and approaching the intersection, they seem to be behaving really nicely. Generally, the traffic speed was, um, and previous research has shown that it's down around that 35 kilometers an hour as it gets to the intersection. Um, and so the question is, how is it doing this with, with such gentle ramps? And, and again, this, I think this is a very important point about the, um, uh, not thinking about the ramp profile by itself, but actually the wider context in which the ramps are actually set. And we've got the lead-in, we've got the curb and channeling, we've got the signage, we've got everything else that's helping to slow people down in that lead-up. And perhaps we need to be thinking more widely about all of those things. And it might be that if we do that, we can get away with slightly gentler 
um, uh, ramp profiles for some contexts, and we're going to touch on that again later. Just one interesting thing that we saw here was that um, it was interesting that we found that, and this may be a legislative thing in Victoria, I'm not quite sure, that uh, we have the speed limit signs on approach to the intersection. And we just sort of felt that from a human factors point of view, that sort of undermines a little bit the, the speed reducing qualities of all the other uh, parts of the, of, of all the other things that are trying to reduce people's speed. So, you know, is it possible to perhaps leave speed limit signs till after the intersection potentially? Um, and just coming um, in an urban situation now uh, and going back to that South Melbourne Moray Street um, uh, sort of cycling and pedestrian user-friendly roundabout um, example, this seems to be a really neat application and, and we spent quite a lot of time just watching road user behaviour and collecting information here. Um, it, it All up, it seems to be performing really well. Um, and some of the some of the literature that has been written on it suggests that it's performing well as well. Um, an interesting thing here is that when you look at the vertical accelerations that we measured, you can see that at very low speeds, we're getting some pretty high vertical accelerations. And, and that suggests that these ramps are really quite aggressive. And you can imagine for an experimental application like this, you'd be wanting to make sure that those vehicle speeds are really quite slow as they negotiate the roundabout. Um, uh, we did sort of wonder if, you know, with the with this context, it is quite a complex context, whether you could actually get away with ramps that are perhaps not quite as aggressive, uh, not wanting to button off too much, but, but could you get away with slightly gentler ramps? We did see um, the odd sort of conflict point. You can see the cyclist here, and if you can imagine a, a vehicle departing from the uh, roundabout at the same time, we saw a couple of situations where both the car and the cyclist would come to a stop. Um, but all of this was at very low speeds, and, and we saw that as a minor issue. Talking with some people on site, where they did actually mention that there could, can be conflicts between pedestrians uh, and cyclists sometimes, and I think that just reminds us to always be thinking about pedestrian priority and safety in these situations as well. Going back over the ditch here, to, and I'm going to sort of start with Hamilton. Um, there's a couple of innovative things, or a few innovative things, going with race safety platforms in Hamilton. I want to start here with. Um, Anglesey Street on your left here. This is a 50 kilometre an hour arterial street. Um, it's a mixed use environment. You've got a bus centre over to the right, you've got the city centre to the left. Um, and what they've done here is raised the whole intersection. Um, the design of the ramps, I believe, is, is for 30 kilometres an hour. The advisory here is used as 25. Uh, and by and large, it seems to be performing really well. Um, I think the main point with this intersection is that it's, it's, a, it's a story of sort of construction success and certainly talking to the Hamilton City Council team, um, they worked incredibly closely with the construction team um, to get it right, but, but also just to um, you know, work through how they were going to build it and get their instructions really clear and they actually closed the whole intersection for I think three days and you know, they just decided to make the call and that you don't have to have access necessarily through every road all the time. Um, and because of that, it, it was able to be built much faster and more efficiently. If you look over to the right here, you can see in a more suburban situation, uh, pedestrian mid-block crossings um, increasingly being used with race safety platforms. And again, this is in Hamilton. Um, again, these seem to be performing really, really well. Um, I drove over and we got some measurements for some of these. Um, and again, some of the ramps seemed a little bit aggressive and I just wondered about the as-built versus the design. Uh, they tend to be sticking with their 1 in 15 uh, ramps for this, so it should be about right. Uh, but overall, I think these are, are really good applications. 
And coming up to Auckland, um, there's a few things going on here. And the first thing, if you look at the top left, is that uh, Auckland's actually got a, um, a pretty comprehensive speed management program going on at the moment. Um, and uh, in particular, the city centre has uh, an area-wide 30 kilometre an hour speed limit now. Um, and you can see at this application, going from a higher speed environment uh, into this 30 kilometre an hour zone, you can see that the raised safety platforms uh, and the markings have been used to, to, to manage traffic speed. If you look at a, a more suburban context and looking down here, um, you can see uh, these are more sort of collector roads, but the whole intersection raised at a roundabout with, with zebra crossings. And uh, for what I understand from the road safety team, this is working uh, really quite nicely. Again, we got measurements uh, for accelerometry over this site. Um, the ramps did seem a little bit aggressive. You know, you really had to be quite slow to get over it. Um, but again, perhaps that's just ensuring safety in what's uh, a fairly new application. Uh, the one thing I just want to spend a bit of time on talking about in Auckland is um, some of the work they're doing to sort of really get a feel for, uh, I guess, bus-friendly environments. And, and this is Tamaki Drive. You've got um, an aquarium tourist attraction here, the seafront over here. Um, and so a lot of buses going along here, as well as the need for pedestrian safety. Um, and they've done a lot of work using accelerometry like this, um, but just to understand a profile that would get the strike the best balance between bus comfort and uh, pedestrian safety. And I'm sure there's people at Auckland Transport that can talk a lot more about the details of what they've been doing there. So just in, just summarising what we've learned from these sample investigations, and again, these are just the highlights, but you know, I think there really is emerging agreement about the ramp designs for these higher speed environments. Um, um, there are variations in signs and markings, and there is work to be done to consolidate these, um, but we don't really see any sort of serious safety issues with them. Um, it does seem a little bit counterintuitive to some still to be having raised safety platforms in higher speed environments, uh, but we don't really see any evidence today that that, that concern is warranted. Um, we do see some things like rear hard braking. Um, we need to acknowledge that, um, but again, there's no evidence that that's leading to, to to nose-to-tail collisions or, or other injuries. Um, and we haven't actually seen any examples of nose-to-tail collisions. Um, just looking, just one thing that we found particularly with the, um, with the engagement work that we've been doing, and this came particularly from the Melbourne workshop um, that we had in Victoria, um, it does seem that there's a lot of work still that needs to be done to consolidate um, and just to sort of build community and stakeholder uh, sort of buy-in, so more communication engagement sort of needed. And, and related to that, sort of fitting this within this sort of strategic sort of road safety conversation, it seems like this uh, device is, is, looks promising, um, especially in these higher speed environments, um, but there's more to be done to really embed it within, um, you know, sort of business as usual practices. And certainly a range of these secondary applications are really promising and there's a lot more to be done to really sort of push some of these concepts. I'm not going to um, dwell too much on, on this, but I just sort of, you know, a really key thing does seem to be um, understanding what these profiles should be um, in the different situations. And I think if we think of all the different situations and the different road users, um, there does seem to be kind of a convergence of the sorts of profiles that should be used in different situations. Um, for example, and I won't go into the details, but um, I just I did just want to touch on the truck issue because I think what we saw in the literature and what we've seen through some of the conversations is that there is quite a lot of concern about using race safety platforms on truck routes. 
Um, but I think when you look at the, you know, a well-constructed one in 25 ramp with a perhaps a one in 35 departure, um, they should actually perform pretty well. And, and, and I guess if there's further concern, then perhaps going to a, a one in 30 approach grade might be a way of dealing with that. Um, and of course, we've got the consideration of whether it's a divided carriageway or an undivided carriageway. Um, and because on an undivided carriageway, the departure ramps need to be the same profile. So that would need to be taken into consideration. Um, and, and just other sort of key points that um, are now starting to sort of go, and, and these are just some of the principles, I, I guess some of the key principles for the guidance, and, and we have actually created quite specific um, sort of changes to the to two of the Osroads guides, but he, these are just some of the principles, um, the more the, the bigger ones that I think that uh, are worth highlighting. Um, as I said, they are appropriate for truck routes with the appropriate mitigations, um, but it, it does come to, back to that point of needing to accurately build them and make sure they're built to spec. Um, and also we need to you know, have a more consistent arrangement. I don't think yet we've a, a yet arrived at the, the approved sort of ultimate sort of signage arrangement for some of these applications. Um, there is a bit of concern about right turn traffic and, and the capacity issues that come with that, but the more recent examples, particularly in Victoria, where the advanced stop lines are set up on the platforms, that helps a lot, I think, to mitigate that right turn um, capacity. Um, and yeah, and, and I guess um, we have looked at, had, had a bit of feedback and some SCAT data from uh, some of the uh, Victorian corridors, and there doesn't seem to be any evidence that the platforms themselves have led to any sort of capacity issues at this stage, apart from that right turn issue. Um, as I said, there is more of a, a need here to sort of embed this at a, at a sort of more of a network level and have more of a strategy about how they get used at a whole network and, and what that investment strategy would look like. Um, and, and related to that, as I've mentioned, uh, there is need for more sort of education, engagement, communication, um, not just with the public, but also with internal stakeholders. Because when we had these meetings, it seemed clear that even internal people who are working on these didn't always uh, buy into the concept of uh, race safety platforms. Um, it seems that these are much more cost effective when there's part of a, um, you know, existing, inter sorry, intersection works that are gonna happen anyway, whether it's a greenfields or a brownfields um, project where things are happening anyway, it seems that they're much more cost effective uh, as, opposed, as opposed to having to retrofit them on an existing intersection. Um, and, and certainly at the higher, you know, the bigger intersections, those big high-speed ones, having approach ramps, approach, approach platforms, uh, seems to be a more cost-effective way of um, getting a result as opposed to raising the whole intersection. So just in conclusion, um, you know, if I, if I could just pull out some of the overall key themes from all of this work that we've been doing, it's pretty clear that there's a community of practice developing here, really lead, being led by Victoria. Um, some New Zealand locations hot on their heels and, and other places really interested in, in moving forwards as well. Um, but we do need to get a little bit of consistency in, both in design, construction, the use of signs and so forth. We do need to continue to consider those full range of road users, whether they're trucks, emergency vehicles, motorcyclists, pedestrians, cyclists, um, and making sure that the applications in those different contexts are right for all of those road users. And as I've mentioned, the, the next step, it seems, is, is really about strategic positioning of these and, and scaling them up. Um, and that leads on to, you know, these considerations for, for, for beyond here. You know, what are we actually recommending going forwards? And, and we do recommend that we continue the rollout of race safety platforms based on the evidence from the trials and the literature that we have to date. 
Um, um, in addition to the OSROADS guides, I think we can make further tweaks. There's already been some really proactive changes to things like the Victorian Department of Transport guidance, uh, but we need to sort of have local, more specific guidance sort of updated as well. Um, and, and I think there's a big challenge here to build sector capability, understanding of how they're used, um, and even just as Fabian mentioned, uh, what these are about, the fact that they are quite different to low-speed LATAM, local area traffic management devices. You know, they're things that just sort of knock off the top of their speed. You sort of cruise over them and at that safe system speed, and that's a very different thing from the hard braking that often comes with, with slow-speed environments. Um, but some of these other applications in rural intersections and urban roundabouts and things show really a lot of promise, and we're suggesting that more work's done to, to uh, progress them. And just lastly, um, we are making um, updates to, to the Osroads guides, or we've, we've recommended updates, and, and so I can say that the guide to traffic management is being updated at the moment to reflect these findings, um, and the guide to road design, that's going to be considered by the Road Safety and Design Programme at a later date. So that's all from me, and um, I now uh, go over to question time. Thank you very much, Hamish, um, and Fabian, and Rebecca. Um, great project, um, very interesting findings, um, and we have very, very, very many questions from our participants. Um, so we'll try to go through as many um, as we can. Um, just please let me. I'm just fixing my screen right now. Um, so yes, we will try to go th um, through as many as we can. And the questions that we didn't have time to answer, uh, they all will be put in the Q&A, written Q&A, and we will send it to everybody after the session. So I will just start with the general question. Um, so as the majority of these. Uh, installations uh, would be on lower order roads controlled by local government. Um, did you have any representation uh, from local government in this project? Um, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll start and, and, and Fabian might want to uh, jump in. Um, and uh, just remember that this particular project um, was more about um, uh, investigating the experiences that other jurisdictions had in actually implementing. So we, we weren't actually directly involved with the implementation of the projects. Um, it, it, in saying that, um, that we did have key um, uh, workshops, um, you know, to sort of gather lessons learned at the different jurisdictions. So in Victoria, um, uh, you know, we had a, a workshop with the Department of Transport and other people uh, related in that area. Um, I'd need to go back to the details, to be honest, to, to um, remind ourselves how, how many actual local council people there were in that particular workshop. Uh, in, in New Zealand, uh, we had uh, meetings and, and there were certainly inputs from the city councils for, for those ones. Thanks, Hamish. Um, um, yes, I'd add to that. Um, I think, uh, just to add to Hamish's comments, yes, local government were uh, very heavily involved, particularly uh, New Zealand government. We had Hamilton City Council and Auckland City Council really heavily involved in the process, and you saw a lot of examples from there. I just highlight one of the points as well. I don't think these are specific and restricted to lower order roads. You will actually see that a lot of the examples are actually quite high speed, very high volume uh, arterial roads. Uh, we're certainly looking at using them um, on state highways. In New Zealand, in fact, um, they are already being developed into our policy with regards to being considered a standard safety intervention that we would 
um, used uh, as a sort of a go-to primary safe system treatment with regards to our um, investment across the network. Thanks, Fabian. Um, so another question here is a few people um, asked, has there been any confusion between pedestrians and drivers? Are these treatments uh, for drivers only? For example, in some states in Australia, if it's not a pedestrian crossing, then a fencing would be required to stop pedestrians from crossing this road. Well, I think, I think firstly, on these higher order roads, these what we've called sort of primary interest ones where the speed limit is, you know, it's an arterial road with a speed limit of 60 kilometres an hour or higher. The, the race safety platforms are always used at, um, or the urban ones are always used at uh, signals. And so, you know, the signalised um, crossings at those locations. And so, um, you know, what a, what a pedestrian needs to do in those situations should be pretty clear in the separation by time um, is happening at them. And I guess it's when you get to the lower order ones where um, in the slower speed environments, uh, where you've got the potential mixing of pedestrians and vehicles, like in the in the roundabout example that I showed. Uh, and that's where we're relying on those safe system speeds. Um, well, like the signals as well, um, but that's where we don't have the time separation through signals. Thanks, Hamish. Um, so next question, I will take us to slide 15. Um, so when you uh, said there were significant speed reductions, did you mean um, on the approach to the crossings, uh, no matter whether signals were red or green, when you were talking to this? Um... Yeah, yeah, listen, that, that, that's, a, that's a good point, um, because in a lot of the evaluation, and um, Rebecca or Fabian, feel free to jump in, but, but for, for the evaluations that have been carried out for that, um, for the speed measurements that have been carried out, it is actually quite hard to separate out the phases where the tra traffic lights were, were, the signals were either red or green. Um, and so, you know, you do have to sort of rely on what those higher end speeds, say the 85th percent or whatever um, speeds are doing to understand um, really what the performance of the race safety platforms are having. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I guess there's sort of further work that could be done to actually make sure that um, the uh, the speed measurements are happening only when the signals are green, uh, but that would be a fairly complicated thing to do um, from a measurement point of view. Yeah, I'll, I'll just add that um, I think one of the clear examples that we uh, were able to get quite a lot of uh, monitoring on was the Thomas Gordonton intersection in Hamilton in New Zealand. And I think, again, it's important for context. That's in a, a peri-urban, almost semi-rural type environment. Prior to the works being undertaken, that road a number of years ago was actually posted at 100 kilometres an hour. Um, sometime before this upgrade was undertaken, the, uh, the speed limit had been dropped to 80 kilometres an hour. And at the time that the intersection upgrade was undertaken, the 85th percentile speeds were of the order of 80 kilometres an hour. And what we found is once we implemented the treatment, and for clarity, the, the raised platforms are designed with the intent of uh, reducing vehicle speeds at the intersection around the conflict points to 50 kilometres an hour. Uh, we're finding that um, the approach speeds were still up around 80 kilometres an hour, but as uh, vehicles were going through the intersection, that the, uh, the speed and operating speeds had dropped down to around 40 kilometres an hour. Thanks, and that had, that had operated very well um, in terms of uh, safety performance and, and the crash history is also uh, uh, confirmed or, or to date, it's been in place for 18 months now, uh, confirmed a very um, significant drop in the number of crashes that were previously happening. 
Um, so what could be the highest posted speed limit? Um, race platforms can be installed. What, what can be the highest posted speed limit? Um, I'll, I'll just start and yeah, Fabian could sort of jump in here again, but um, the principle that we've arrived at, um, which has I guess been the basis for the for the Osro guide changes, is that um, it's not so much about the highest posted speed limit, but the way in which speed is managed down uh, on approach to the intersection. So, and I think the key principle here is that there shouldn't be anything greater than a 20 kilometre an hour um, uh, operating speed on approach. Uh, compared, you know, just generally uh, compared with the does, uh, the advisory speed actually at the intersection. So, for example, if traffic is doing about 60 kilometres an hour on approach, then it seems reasonable to have a 40 kilometre an hour advisory speed at the actual um, intersection at the ramp. Um, Fabian, did you want to add anything to that? Yeah, just quickly, I think you're spot on there. Um, the, the Victorian guidance and the road design note that you mentioned um, has some further guidance around this. And the understanding is if you're looking at a differential speed or expecting people to slow by more than around 20 or 30 kilometres an hour, you really should be looking at other supplementary speed management measures. So Hamish is correct. If you're just intending to put in the, the platforms on their own, you wouldn't really want to be looking at um, you know, speed differentials more than about 20 or 30 kilometres. But you could still achieve um, or install them in those situations where the differential is higher. It's just that you would need to look at other um, installation of uh, more um, sort of supporting uh, speed management measures to progressively bring down the speeds uh, with some level of assurance before they encounter the, the, the race safety platforms. I think just quickly, I think the um, I think the Lance Creek example is a really nice one because that's an 80 kilometre an hour speed limit, um, and yet you've got um, a speed the speed of traffic at the intersection of around 35 kilometres an hour by the time it gets there. So, and you saw from those pictures, there's really quite a significant bunch of things that happen uh, between. The, the general operating speed of the traffic and, and what happens by the time they get to the intersection. Thanks, uh, Hamish. Um, so another question here, could you comment on um, impact of vertical de uh, deflection devices on people with back injury, either as drivers or passengers in private vehicle or buses? Do you have any information on that? Yeah. Um, I know Auckland Transport's been looking at this in more detail, um, and it, it would be, um, I'd, I'd, to be honest, I'd need to look at other literature to sort of confirm that. But I do know that uh, what we did find with the literature we reviewed is that um, we have a pretty good feeling for the um, the uh, the vertical acceleration that has different levels of impact on people, and that's what sort of a right. That, that was the basis for us arriving on this sort of, you know, influence threshold of 0.4 Gs, comfort threshold 0.5, and and then getting over and above over about 0.7 G, you're starting to get really quite severe vertical acceleration that's very uncomfortable and even leading to people, um, you know, potentially, I, I don't know about injury, but possibly even, you know, affecting their control. Um, so certainly trying to, what we understand at least from this work, uh, keeping people or keeping the vertical accelerations sort of less than or around that 0.5 G uh, sort of area seems to be a, a good way to go. Thanks, Hamish. Um, another question. So was there any investigation of um, traffic diversion to other routes um, from drivers in order to avoid the raced ramps? Yeah, that's a, 
that's a that's a good question. Um, except um, I we really didn't see any evidence of that. Um, and I guess what we had to do to re truly understand that was simply rely on the the network people who we worked with when we did these um, sample investigations. But they certainly didn't report any of that happening, any particular rat running through side streets or anything like that. Um, and I think, and, and we would, we certainly didn't see any evidence of that when we had the site visits. Um, and I think when you sort of look at the performance of these, there's, there's no reason to, I don't think. They're not obstructive enough um, in order to have people do that. You know, uh, these high speed ones really is a relatively sort of a gentle sort of bump that you go over um, compared with those low speed traffic management ones that that frankly some people do avoid sometimes. So I think there's a really important point here with the communication and the engagement work that needs to happen that it is a very different concept, a different experience and a different thing we're trying to achieve. And we don't see any evidence to date. Um, and there may be that it may be that there's some information out there, but we didn't see anything that suggests that people are avoiding them. Thanks, Hamish. Um, have you also come across any research um, about the environmental effect of the race safety platforms? There's been some concerns that uh, if if there are too many of uh, RSPs, uh, then it can potentially create additional CO2 emissions. Um, yeah, again, with that, with that one, I think there's this distinction between the, the more aggressive low-speed local area traffic management ones. Um, and I guess if we are having people brake hard and then accelerate hard in, in a low speed local street environment, mm -hmm. you can imagine there may be some you know, extra fuel usage and, and CO2 emissions from, from that. Um, but again, in these higher speed environments, um, I don't think that's really an issue. And, and really what we're doing is that it, these higher speed ones are are really kind of a nudge, I suppose, that are being used. I mean, people should be traveling through these intersections at around about the speed anyway. This is the safe system speed. And if people are just simply kind of taking a foot off the accelerator in advance and coasting through and then sort of carrying on, then I would have thought um, that the, you know, any kind of environmental impact should be minimal at the higher speed ones. Um, uh, I can't really speak, and, and certainly the, this research hasn't gone into the environmental impacts of low-speed uh, platforms, and that's something else that would have to be looked at. Thanks, Hamish. Um, so what are the effects of these platforms on public transport, buses in particular? Um, again, I, I, I would probably, in terms of having the most detailed data on this, I would I would suggest that um, the good people at Auckland Transport are, are being contacted about this because they really have done quite a lot of work to try and understand um, bus comfort, bus passenger comfort, um, and what those impacts are. And uh, I think certainly, um, if we are talking about the more aggressive type um, low speed local area traffic management ones, then that can impact on, on bus comfort, on bus passenger comfort. Uh, but certainly these higher speed ones, um, and we saw plenty of buses moving over these platforms with the sample investigations. And, and there was actually work done, I think, from what I understand, in the development of the race safety platforms by, in Victoria before they were developed. And, and I understand that the platforms aren't really um, significant enough to cause discomfort to bus passengers as they go over them. 
Thanks, Hamish. Um, well, uh, we have no time left. I'm just going to ask one uh, last question in relation to uh, safety of cyclists and uh, curb and gutter design. So Cycling Guide recommends that the raised platforms should not taper down to curb and channel, uh, curb and channel leap, as this may reduce safety to cyclists. So how does this platform um, allow for cycling and drainage? Yeah, most most of the um, I'd need to sort of go back to some of the design details for them, but most of the platforms and in, in these applications, um, uh, well, there's two different approaches. One is where the platform remains flush with the uh, the, the pavement on the side of the road, uh, and then there's other ones where it's sort of feathered off and it goes down towards the um, the level of of the drain. Um, Again, this is something that um, in the workshops that we had, you know, we had limited time to sort of get information. And so we did it in, in a lot of these um, arterial roads that we we're looking at aren't the most attractive environments for cyclists, to be honest. And so we did actually see limited number of cyclists on them. So it is quite hard for us to make judgments about how well cyclists are negotiating these particular ones. But I would just come back to the fact that they are really quite gradual, um, both in their approach profile, but also any sort of tapering that happens off to the left towards the gutter. And I can't really see that it would be a significant issue in terms of uh, cycle um, sort of stability, I suppose, as you go over them. Um, but again, you know, it could be that that's something that needs to be looked at in a bit more detail. Thanks so much, Hamish. Well, I think uh, we, we're going to wrap up here. Um, and before we do that, I'm just going to say a few words about our next um, webinars. Uh, thanks again to your presentation, very interesting and uh, lots of questions um, left. So we will get them all answered and we'll send you the copy of the response after the session. Um, so um, we have a variety of sessions plans in the upcoming months. Um, this session on the 23rd of March might be of interest to you. We will talk um, about a practical process that we've developed to guide practitioners through the selection of the appropriate on-road public transport priority treatments for any road scenario. So to learn more about all um, our sessions, please visit the Austroads website. Um, and as usual, after we close out today's session, there will be a questionnaire uh, that will pop up on your screen. So please take a couple of minutes to send us your feedback. Uh, it really helps us to know what you liked or you didn't like about the session and what suggestions you have for our future webinars. Um, you will also receive a follow-up email within a few days with a link to the recording um, uh, of today's session. So thanks again, everyone. Uh, stay well and safe um, and enjoy the rest of your day. And we will see you next time. Thank you.